The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. We've got a hope, uh, an inheritance that's imperishable, it's reserved for us in heaven. we got to get really excited, no matter what our challenges are, that we serve a resurrected Christ, and we're going to a place where resurrected people will enjoy Christ forever. It's going to be a great experience. Happy Easter from First Person. Welcome to this week's edition of our program. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Coming up in a moment, you'll hear Pastor Mike Fabares discuss the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, so stay with us. These weekly conversations are made possible by the Far East Broadcasting Company, who is proclaiming the gospel message right now in many countries through its radio and internet programs. FEBC will soon celebrate its 75th anniversary and is now looking ahead as the Lord tarries to continue its ministry until all have heard. Take a few moments to learn more at febc.org. And look for this program online at firstpersoninterview.com. You can replay today's conversation and any past interview, plus you can see what's on the upcoming schedule. Again, that's firstpersoninterview.com. Plus, we're also found at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Well, since it's Easter weekend, I invited Pastor Mike Fabares of Compass Bible Church and speaker on the radio program Focal Point to join me in a conversation looking at the events following Jesus' resurrection in Luke chapter 24. First of all, thoughts about death and resurrection. Mm. I heard you preach the fact that death is not a natural part of life. Right, and you hear that, don't you? That yeah. death is just part of life. We should be fine with it, and we try to work hard to be fine with it, but there's nothing fine at all about death. It is a uh, it is a, an intrusion on our relationships, an intrusion on everything that we hold dear. So, you know, we've got to have the Bible's view on this. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that death is, is an enemy. Mm-hmm. It is our enemy. It's the enemy, really, of everything that God sets out to do for us is his creation. So... Uh, thanks be to God that Christ is going to defeat that last enemy, the enemy of death. Amen. And that's what Easter is all about. Amen. And resurrection is something that obviously this weekend is much on our minds. But the rest of the year, we, you know, I admit that we don't really focus on it enough. Do no, we? we don't. No, and I think about my old uh, grandmother's church out in the country where they used to have the, they called the churchyard, which is a graveyard that surrounded the church. And I thought, what, a, what an interesting picture going to church, which of course I've never had in our experience in, you know, suburban Southern California. Sure. But walking past the, uh, the headstones of your relatives while you're going to church, it seems like there's a dour, negative mm-hmm. thing. But what a great reminder as you're going to church that this is what church really really is all about, that Christ solved the problem of death and that this life is not what it's all about. Think about how Christianity has really focused on trying to make this life what everything is for, right? Let's get, let's get happier. Let's get uh, you know, more uh, fit. Let's figure out how to have more fun in our lives. And, and it's not about that, right? Our lives are unfortunately biblically cursed, right? From Genesis 3, uh, we are subject to sin and corruption and sickness and death ultimately. And one day, uh, we're going to have that eternal life that Jesus said he came to bring. And so to go to uh, a church and be reminded of that in an old churchyard in the South is one thing. Uh, but I think today when death has been swept to the corners of our culture and the corners of our experience, you know, most of us aren't farmers. We don't even experience and see death of animals for the sake of our eating of food. Uh, we've got to 
get back to the reality of all this and mm-hmm. say, hey, we are temporal beings. We don't live forever in this state. And uh, we should look forward to the place where we are going to have life eternal. Think yeah. about that phrase, eternal life. Right. But it's not just the here and after. It's the here and now where the resurrection affects our lives as well, or should yeah. affect our lives as well. Absolutely. How we live right this day. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think you're ready to really live here and now unless you've got the then and there figured out. Mm-hmm. And that's what Christianity provides us a great solution to figuring out what we're here for and where we're headed. Hmm. And if we don't know where we're headed, I think you're going to be grasping for a lot of things to find meaning and purpose and, and reality. God has given us that, that, that set. It says in Colossians 3, we've got to set our minds on things above. And how many Christians really take that seriously enough, right, to think about the then and there? Yeah. Well, I would love it if we could just open to Luke chapter 24 and just talk about the scriptures yeah, here today. And of course, it opens with the scene at the Garden Tomb on the first day of the week, uh, very early when they came upon the tomb. And we all know that part of the story. And uh, we can talk about that if you want. But I kind of want to begin a little later in the chapter uh, when Jesus has risen. And uh, let's begin with the episode on the road to Emmaus. And may I, may I read some of these verses? Sure. And uh, we'll see how far we can go with this today. But Uh, Verse 13 of Luke 24, now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place, and while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you were walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Let me stop there. That's the uh, Christian uh, Standard Bible, by the way. Yeah. I'm not sure what version you have in front of you. Well, that's a great translation. I'm, I'm looking at the ESV right now. Okay. So we have this, uh, this conversation uh, where Jesus just sort of joins in on the walk, and, and they don't realize who he is. Yeah, what a bizarre scene that is. And there's a question about that, how Christ seemed to disguise himself in this scene. Uh, and I think for the purpose of having this discussion, having it recorded, uh, having us all be awakened to the reality of why Jesus came and, and that he came to rise again, and Jesus is going to explain some amazing things to them we wouldn't otherwise have. Uh-huh. Yeah, he, he seems to almost take delight in the fact that he's not telling them who he is. You yes. know, he's, he's hiding that fact. Absolutely. And we see these kinds of things in Jesus' ministry. I think about him walking on the water and uh, acting as though he's going to walk by. And you know, he's, he's trying to elicit a response by this kind of... Uh, you know, uh, disguising of himself. And however that took place, they certainly didn't recognize him. They were prevented from recognizing him. Uh, but he's going to have this great discussion, which has been such an inspiration and a motivation for so many of us because of his disguising of himself. Mm-hmm. Picking up in verse 18 of Luke 24, the one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked them again. He's playing along here. He is, for sure. Yeah. It's really kind of uh, fun to think about uh, right. Jesus doing that. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides that, It's the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported it, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Um, And Jesus is about to respond to them, but uh, just comment on those verses. Well, I just love the fact that there's such a... um statement that is drawn out in this discussion about the massive influence of the resurrection. Everyone in 
Jerusalem had heard about it. And you think about so many uh, secret societies and secret clubs and all these kinds of things where so much of their basis for truth or philosophy is based in something that, you know, well, we just have to trust us on this. Uh, I think of Paul when he stood before Agrippa and, and he said, these things have not been done in a corner. Uh, just the amazing, open, public nature of the resurrection is such a helpful, uh, just an, an argument for the veracity of the resurrection. I mean, this is something not done in a corner. It's not like three guys came out and said, believe us and trust us. We saw this. As Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 15, over 500 people at one time were witnessing the resurrected Christ. The public display of his crucifixion. I mean, it was a big deal that this roving rabbi, even if you had a low view of Christ, was strung up and crucified between two criminals and professionals killed him. And, and so the, these absolute certainty that he was dead was beyond any doubt. Right. And now you've got these people saying the word is out all around that he's risen from the dead. And, and Jesus is drawing out and underscoring the fact that this is, again, a public feature. Truth does not need to be hidden in a corner. And the resurrection of Christ, though it is a phenomenal event, clearly, most funerals I've been to, right, the people stay dead. <laughs> but uh, the reality is we know in our hearts, as Solomon says, the et- eternity being set in our hearts, we long for the reality that God has created us to be, as I said, to, to live. And uh, life after death is the expected miraculous feature that we should see. I like the sense that we get here that everybody's talking about it. I mean, how could you not? With just the weather phenomenon itself right. at the time of the Christ's death, and right. and the the veil being rent in two and right. how could the whole town not know what was going on right. and, and if, they're all talking about it and you need to read the crucifixion carefully and slowly even the darkness itself uh, you know it harkens back to the plague in in. Uh, Exodus, the, the darkness that could be felt. There was a darkness over the land for six hours. I mean, that was phenomenal. That was a feature that was hard for anyone to explain, and yet all of it seemed to come like a, a, a highlight, an exclamation point on the death of Christ. And now the buzz in town is, he's risen. That's what everyone's saying. He's yeah. appearing to people. Yeah. You want to pick it up there in verse 25, then, as Jesus begins to respond to them? And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. And that's one of the most exciting statements, isn't it, of of Christ saying, this was all discussed in scripture. Uh, Not just to mention the fact that we are purposed for life, but that Christ would come and solve the problem for us. And of course, Isaiah 53 is the passage that comes to mind for most people immediately, that you've got one that is crushed and offered as a guilt offering, and yet he lives and sees his offspring, right? The spiritual progeny of Christ, the the descendants of Christ that are now uh, benefited. He's making intercession for them after he's died, and he's yet now glorified, just as he prayed that he would be in John 17, uh, because the scriptures spoke to this reality, the solving of our sin problem. If you even go back to the sacrificial system, you have death, right, representing the problem of our sin. And then the life as we walk away from the worship center, thinking I am now forgiven because of the death of another. Life coming out of death, that's the picture throughout the scriptures. And now Jesus says, study it, read it. This is all about what has just happened here in town, in Jerusalem. Hmm. Uh, I really hope that um, we're all, myself included, getting the picture here of Jesus walking with these two, one of whose names we know, Cleopas, the other we don't, but um, they're, they're just, they're doing a normal thing. They're walking down the road talking about these things. Yeah. And then, then Jesus is still playing along with them because he, in verse 28, they came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression he was going to go even further. 
right? Again, that's much like the scene on the Sea of Galilee that I just mentioned. Uh, just an interesting situation where Jesus is being a, uh, a teacher in all of this. I mean, a teacher with lessons and the way that he's even going to deal with these folks in a way that uh, I think has a, uh, a, a firm impact on their lives. They're going to go back and report all this to the apostles. That's how this ends. And just the discussion and the description of them being uh, kind of baited into, you know, uh, stay, uh, stay with us and, and to have that longing heart of wanting to be with the risen Christ in this passage. Interesting. So interesting. This Bible conversation with Pastor Mike Fabares looking at Luke 24 will continue coming up on First Person. Listening to your station is my first priority when I get home. Sometimes I even listen twice, first on the radio and then through the internet. Thank you for all your hard work. The Far East Broadcasting Company receives millions of responses each year from grateful listeners. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company, until all have heard. My guest is Pastor Mike Fabares, and at this Easter time, we're talking about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. We're in Luke chapter 24, just kind of talking our way through what the scripture uh, tells us the story was of Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus and walking with these two. And uh, then it comes to the point where he's invited to uh, to eat with them. Mike, you want to pick it up in verse, uh, let's see, verse 28? 28, yeah. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if they were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they, what was it about the breaking of the bread that made them? Yeah, there's a lot of theories about that, and and you know we don't think that uh, Cleopas and his friend were necessarily in the upper room, but there was something about that. There's so many situations where we see Jesus in the feeding of the five thousand, the feeding of the four thousand, breaking bread and blessing it, and blessing. Yeah. yeah, the Lord actually directing his blessing to the Lord, and we have a scene here where it just seems like that uh, that image was the one that whether it was a natural connection in their minds or whether Christ just decided at that moment, I'm going to open your eyes and have you recognized me for who I am. That was when their eyes were opened. And what, an, what a dramatic scene that must have been, as they go on to say, right? Did our hearts not burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scripture? Well, that's, that's such a key verse, isn't it? So good. <laughs> and it's so good because it reminds us, much like when Thomas was chided uh, you know, for, for doubting, and he really wasn't chided, but I mean, Jesus right. gives him the proof, but he says, you know, blessed are those who believe and they, they haven't seen. And in this situation, again, it's the scriptures that become the anchor for our confidence. Uh, not just that, hey, I, you know, I would believe if I had an Emmaus Road encounter with Christ, but hey, the reality is we have the scriptures. The scriptures is the continuing testimony to the veracity and truthfulness of the resurrection. It was called thousands of years before it happened. It was laid out in the Bible. It happens in real time in history. It doesn't happen in a corner. It happens publicly. And uh, we can go to the scriptures and have the same assurance as these two guys on the road to Emmaus. Yeah. Suddenly, Jesus disappears. And what do they do? 
they don't continue their journey. Nope. They, they don't rest for the night, do they? Right, and they go back. And again, if you think geographically, they're heading out of Jerusalem. They turn around and go right back to Jerusalem. They rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11, and those who were with them gathered, and they said, hey, listen, uh, this is it. This is Jesus. This is too good to keep overnight. <laughs> we cannot stay in the night. We're going to travel. If it, if it is in the middle of the night, we're going to get there. And so they, they reported everything to the 11, and those that were gathered there with them. It was a great, great scene. Yeah, I love it. All right, let's pick it up in verse 36. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. So this is uh, more of the followers right. uh, back in Jerusalem now, right? Correct. We're back in Jerusalem. They were, they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. And I should mention, this is one of these situations where we have like the the, the statement about the door being locked where the disciples were and Jesus shows up. Yeah, There's yeah. that mysterious ability to disappear and yeah. reappear. And yeah. yet he's eating fish. He, he says, I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. You know, I, the ghost spirit doesn't have flesh and bones that you see that I have. So this is a strange reality, a dimensional appearance. And yet he's tactile. You can touch him. He said to Thomas, touch and see. So uh, what an interesting thing it is as we read First Corinthians 15 that you and I are going to have the resurrected features of the glorified body of Christ. And you know, what does that mean about transportation? I mean, that's, you know, we don't <laughs> need our self-driving Teslas, I guess, to get around, right? Which, of course, neither of us have. But the idea is, I mean, the transportation issues of Jesus just deciding to be where he wants to be. Will yeah. that be part of our resurrected experience? Yeah. And as I've thought about this, I thought about who's writing this. It's the physician, Dr. Luke, who's right. writing this. And he's writing about this this glorified body of Jesus, he must be just in awe yeah. of what's going on here right. as well, a doctor. You have to report what is, you know, and even doctors sometimes are blown away by the realities of, of, of what happens. And in, in this case, he's, Luke is a historian, uh, probably the doctor of the Apostle Paul. And, uh, you know, I love the way that he writes this uh, this book. I spent 191 sermons preaching through the book of Luke, and I've become well acquainted with his the way he approaches things. Of course, this is all under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. This is God's word, but the personality of Luke shines through, and this has got to be a scene where he's underscoring the physicality of Christ and yet the supernatural abilities of this resurrected mm-hmm. body. Luke is the gospel of amazement. Uh, we have so many statements of, of amazement and awe uh, the word dazzled came up in the right. the uh, text here a while ago. Yes. Yeah, it's a great scene, and I think we ought to be very grateful that God chose someone like Luke to record these words for us. I think particularly in Western culture, as we think, as you know, Americans that carry iPhones around in our pocket, uh, this is a, a wonderful gospel, and it's one that gives us a great hope that's rooted in truth. Uh, from even, I think you could say, a skeptical mind, even when he sets out in the beginning of the book to say, I've, reached every, I've researched everything carefully. I want to make sure I'm giving you an orderly account. And it ends with an orderly and very specific account of the resurrected Christ. Mm-hmm. After he eats the broiled fish, then he speaks again, and, he, and he, he goes back to the scriptures again, doesn't he? That's right. He you know, make, why don't we read the 44 through uh, 49 there? What a great section. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Those three designations, by the way, are the way that they like to divide up the old Hebrew canon. So basically, it's like him saying from Genesis to Malachi, everything written about me in the Old Testament, he said, uh, it had to be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay, underline that. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> section, right? Back in Psalm 119, the idea of a, having the Lord open our eyes up to see wonderful things in his word, uh, it's called the doctrine of illumination. We believe that the Spirit of God, as Paul said, 
that allows us to understand the spiritual things in the scripture. And it's not that they're things that uh, don't add up. I mean, here's a very logical presentation of the resurrection of Christ, but to put it all together, I mean, it's like having ears to hear and eyes to see. These are gifts of the Lord, and he allows them to get it. They understand the scriptures. And he said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And that sets us up for the book of Acts. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's part two, right, of Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts, which you may not think about this, but Luke and Acts together, that constitutes most of the New Testament. More more of the New Testament was written by Luke than any other author. We often think it's the Apostle Paul, but a lot of voluminous material in Luke and Acts, and this is really just the preview of what's coming up in the book of Acts. It's hard to pick a favorite writer, gospel writer, but uh, this this ranks pretty high in my mind. Luke, and uh, as historian, as physician, I I think about all the medical terms sprinkled in the book of Luke that can only come from a doctor. That's right. When I was a kid growing up, we would sing the hymn, we serve a risen Savior, you know, and Mm -hmm. should we not be proclaiming a risen Savior to this culture? Yes. If you go in the book of Acts and look at the topics for preaching by the apostles, the resurrection of Christ is the most discussed element of Christ's life. You'd think it'd be the cross, you'd think it'd be his death, his suffering, maybe his miracles. The resurrection gets the most airtime. And then you look at what's going on in modern evangelicalism. When we talk to our neighbors and friends about the gospel, uh, we talk about you know his teaching, we talk about his death, if we're good in our evangelism, talking about forgiveness and atonement. But a lot of us just tack on the resurrection as an afterthought. Mm-hmm. That's not how it was in the book of mm-hmm. Acts. The resurrection was, was, the, was the hope. The central the, truth of Christianity. The, absolutely. It proved the veracity of Christianity, and it was our hope. The hope is in a dying world, we don't have to live uh, in a state of, of, of a dying, corrupted reality. God is going to provide for us the resurrected, glorified existence, just like Christ gave us in the last chapter of the book of Luke. Yeah. And then just to circle back on something we already touched on, the fact that this resurrection, truth and power of the resurrection isn't just for heaven and eternity. It's for now, how, how we live our daily lives right now. That's right. Monday after Easter, too. That's right. And, and, and we should. We should view it that way because you can have a lot of pain in your life. You can have a lot of problems in your life. But we should walk in newness of life, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans. And it's based on the fact that uh, we have a future. We have a hope. Uh, and, and the hope that we have, as I like to say, the, the, the hope that we have in Christ provides us so much good beyond this life that's so much better than the bad we experience in this life. Your bad might be bad, but the good that's coming is better than the bad you're experiencing. And, and we have to get excited about that. I remember as a kid before camp, you know, no matter what the chores were the day or two before I went to camp, it was like, okay, I can power through all this because I'm going to camp, you know, on, on, on Saturday Looking morning. Looking forward to it. So, you know, we've got a, we've got a hope, uh, an inheritance that's imperishable, it's reserved for us in heaven. We got to get really excited today, no matter what our challenges are, that we serve a resurrected Christ and we're going to a place where resurrected people will enjoy Christ forever. It's going to be a great experience. Our first-person guest has been Mike Fabares as we opened the scriptures and talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what hope that gives to every believer. Mike Fabares is the pastor of Compass Bible Church in Aliso Viejo, California, and the speaker on the radio program Focal Point, heard nationally on many stations. The interview you've heard today and past programs are archived online at firstpersoninterview.com. As we celebrate the risen Lord this weekend, 
I invite you to go to febc.org and learn how the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed in many countries via radio and the internet. The Far East Broadcasting Company is proclaiming the message of the resurrection in nearly 50 countries. More at febc.org. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Happy Easter from First Person. Music